Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is Stacking the Box with NFL insider Matt Berteram and Mark Carmen. Good morning, Stacking the Box fans far and wide. We are here to talk about the Who Gives a Shit Super Bowl. That's right. Who Gives a Shit? Rarely thrown out the profanity early in the show, but Benny Heiss is with us for the whole show today. Matt Berteram living the dream. What's up, Gonzo? What's up, all of What's up to you, Eddie E. and Shrek Football? Weighing in early in the chat here. And uh, yes, Gonzo, it is about damn time. We're half an hour late. Verderam, would you like to apologize to the Stack in the Box community? We are late because of you, buddy. I don't even know why uh, we're late. No, I'm not going to apologize at all. I had a job, though. I had to interview a coach in the NFL, and uh, the community has to understand. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those. If, if an NFL coach says, yeah, I'll talk to you, you do it when the NFL coach says they can. So it worked out. Are, can you release who that coach is? Is that private? Yeah, we have to wait. No, I can. I can. I talked to uh, Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. I'm doing a story. Um, on how Sean McVay and Zach Taylor coached together in the last in the last Super Bowl that McVay was in. Of course, Taylor was about to become the head coach of the Bengals. He was the offensive coordinator. And so I'm doing this feature based on the idea of how hard it's going to be or how, how weird it's going to be for some of these guys who coach with both of them, as Shane Waldron did in L.A., to watch this game and how they're going to feel and if, if, if they have a certain thought on the game. So I've talked to a few coaches. i got a few more hopefully to go. But Shane was nice enough to give me his time on the record. And so, uh, yeah, we had to push this thing back half hour. Yeah. I, I, every, Heiss, are you good? Do you understand? You're, are you okay? I've, I've been here living the dream, getting everybody and their mothers ready to bet the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to be here. I'm you know, fine. We're, we're, we're going to make some money in a second here. But all right, along your Verderam lines here as far as the coaching – Two youngest coaches, Super Bowl history, as we uh, move into Super Bowl 56 here. Uh, you know, 36-year-old Zach Taylor, which is more than I was doing at 36. And 30, uh, I'm sorry, 36-year-old Sean McVay, 38-year-old Zach Taylor. Let me get it right here. Um, I don't know what that says about the league, but congrats to those guys on being elite at their careers because that is impressive. I'm coaching in the Super Bowl. I'm in my mid-30s. Wow. Does that I mean – yeah, go ahead. No, I think I think what it, it tells you is this is the way the league's going to go. It's going to go younger. Um, you know, we've seen in recent years. Look, last year, Arians and, and Reed, certainly older coaches. Um, but year before that, our Reed was in it, but Kyle Shanahan was in it. Um, you know, we've seen some younger coaches recently. And even, heck, look around. I mean, Shanahan was one of the other final four coaches, right? I mean, Andy Reed is the only one who was older. And he's one of the most innovative guys in the league. So I think what it speaks to is you have to have some innovation either in you or in your staff. You know, maybe Sean McDermott, not the most innovative guy, but Brian Dable, a very innovative head coach now, or well, now a head coach, an offense coordinator with Buffalo. Um, it just, I, I think, look, we're, we're skewed toward offense more than ever in the NFL right now. If you don't have a different way to attack defenses, you're in trouble. That's why, look, and we'll get into some of this. I think the McDaniel hire 
was a really not the McDaniels, but the McDaniel hire in Miami. Very good. I, I think he'll do well there. Um, you know, and, and we saw Brendan Staley this year, who is a lightning rod, right? Like some people love him, some people think he's way too aggressive, but that's the way that the league's going for sure. Outside the opposite of McDaniel being Lovey Smith in Houston. For any Texans fans that are on here, I'd like to give my condolences. You just hired the the most boring, bland, middle of the road head coach, perhaps in NFL history. Does have a great beard, and Ben, you're Benny, you're, you're shaking your head here. Go ahead. I think they might have lucked into some sort of stability if they choose to accept it. I, I think the problem with Houston is they wanted to hire Josh McCown. Oh, yeah. The timing yeah. of everything was just set up for them to fail. They wanted to bring him in. Clearly, mm-hmm. there's there's something. If, if we're going on conspiracy theories, I, I'm convinced that the league basically came to them and said, you, you can't, with everything going on right now with the Flores situation, you cannot, in good conscience, get rid of David Culley with Lovey Smith sitting right there, who you chose not to interview for the first month of this entire process, and bring in Josh McCown. If eventually this is going to be your plan, and maybe there's a, a succession plan here, that can be a part of it. But I, listen, I, Lovey's an NFL head coach. Like the the whole opportunity opportunity that he had in college at Illinois just just wasn't really a good fit. Like Carm, you're you've been around, you've covered that Bears team. Yeah. How many people do you know in that organization? that played for Lovey Smith that still glow about him. Like maybe there's aspects of the defensive part of, of that system that have passed him by a little bit, but like that's a team that is in so much desperation for stability that if they actually give him the chance and he gets the offense right, maybe there's a chance that they could actually be all right. I, I don't think it's as bad of a hire as you're making it out to be. Uh- I might be going a little over the top because he's just so boring. And just, as I said, incredibly middle of the road. He's 59 and 57 in his career. Let's not forget the Tampa Bay stint, which was nothing. He was great. He was good with the Bears when they had an elite defense filled with Brian Erlackers and Peanut Tillmans. And, you know, that it, and he coached them up well, and those guys like him. That's true. You're right, Ben. Those guys would speak incredibly well of Lovey. But he had a ton of talent. I don't. I don't see this as for current NFL. It's just not dynamic at all. This isn't. And we can move on because I'm sure nobody cares about the Texans <laughs> and the Bears. But I mean, this isn't about Lovey Smith. This is about an organization that has no idea what it's doing. Correct. And that's not to say that Lovey Smith is going to be an awful hire. Um, I agree. I actually kind of agree with both of you guys at the same time. I think he does bring stability to them. He brings professionalism to them. At the same point, do I think that he was their first, second, third, or fourth choice? Nope. No. No chance. This idea, look, I've seen enough people this week carry water to be a camel. Okay. Like this this notion that, oh, he emerged late in the process, but they've had their eye on him. Bullshit. This idea that, oh, he's been no, he hasn't. He was with the team. If they want to hire him, they would have hired him a month ago. Now I don't know well, if I'd go full, full, uh, you know, grassy knoll like like Heisler over there, but I, I do think there is something to look. You cannot hire a whitehead coach with no experience right now. Like, first of all, that sounds like a terrible idea anyway. But that really sounds like a terrible idea right about now. And so I do think there is part of that. I can tell you from being down in Mobile, uh, you hear a lot of things. 
Okay, a lot of things. Some with merit, some that you kind of have to go, ah, I don't know if I believe that. You didn't hear Lovey Smith once, like nothing. And I was down there with some people who would have known that. Okay, there, there is no, there was no buzz. A lot of people thought Gannon out of Philadelphia was going to get that job, and then the Flores lawsuit broke on Tuesday. And you're like, okay, does that take him out of the running? Nobody, nobody was like Lovey Smith is going to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. So, uh, look, we can we can uh, divest ourselves from this conversation. But there is, I mean, that that came out of left field to the hilt. Well, I, I, I before we quote unquote divest ourselves from this conversation i think we all agree that there should not be one now two african-american head coaches when the league is 70 percent. that's that's just it's it's it does not look good it's not right the nfl's hiring practices need to be strongly looked at i don't know you know solutions to it not that easy but i would i would i would propose that listen i don't know I, of 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 five coaching hires, four coaching hires, one has to be of an African American. Is that is that something that the NFL can move oh. that would take them past the Rooney Rule? Is that you, you, know, you can't do that though? Why because, not? Well, because let's just okay. So let's just for the easy sake of this, let's just say the AFC North. All four teams have a vacancy. Mm-hmm. So now you're demanding that one of those coaches is a minority. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, whoever that last team is, if you know, the other three guys get hired who aren't a minority. No, no, I'm, I'm saying like the each individual team for Ram. Like you oh, get the, okay. of your last four hires. I, I got you. One, I got you. one. It, look here. You know what? Here to me is the easy solution to this, and it's I say easy. It's not easy to implement, but it's easy in practice, or at least an ideal. Like the reason that there aren't more black head coaches in the NFL is because there aren't enough black head coaches getting jobs in the first or uh, coaches, not head coaches, just coaches, assistant coaches getting jobs in the first place. You're not getting enough coaches in the pipeline. And if you talk to people in the league, that seems to be a common refrain. There are not enough minority coaches coming up who, you know, usually if you come into the league, you start as like a quality control coach, right? And then you you maybe move to a position. And then if you if you climb higher, you go to a coordinator. And then obviously from there, you can get a head coaching job. There are not enough black assistants who are getting jobs at quality control, okay? There aren't enough black assistants who are, you know, a D-line coach or a running backs coach or a receivers or a quarterbacks coach. And so think about it this way. When is the last time you heard of a vacancy in the NFL at the head coaching level where more of the candidates were black than white? Never. It never happens. It's almost always if there's eight candidates for a job, maybe two of them are black, maybe, not even that sometimes. And so you, you need – to hire more minority coaches at the basic level of getting in and having more of a pool to pick from. And then look, yes, you can get into some of these owners want to pick people that look like them and people they're comfortable with because they're they're 70 years old and they're stuck in, in 1962. You can argue, and that's fine. And in, in a few cases, that's true. But I think in a lot of cases, there's just not enough of a pool. And what happens is if you interview eight guys and seven are white guys, just the odds are you're going to hire the white coach because there's seven of the eight are white. Now, I think you fix that by by really focusing on getting a, a, a flow of black coaches into the into the coaching pool and letting everybody work their way up. It, it will not solve things immediately, but it will certainly help 
over the next handful of years. We we, we have a whole offseason. I have to do I'd have to do a deep dive on this, but I'm I'm just you know the the coaches the coaches that are black that are in the pipeline right now, a lot of times they're running back coaches, they're DB coaches. We need more coordinators, more Eric B enemies out there. Everybody wonders why he hasn't gotten a chance. I'm not exactly sure why, but uh that's not exactly uh, an easy one to figure out. By the way, Ben's to put, telling us in the chat that the Lovey Smith press conference was interrupted by a fire alarm and people are being evacuated from the yes. building from Andrew Siciliano of the NFL Network, which is which is at least slightly ironic. Go ahead, Ben. Really quickly, because you brought up the enemy, and I wonder if uh, you might have some insight on this, Vertoram, uh, being with your connections in Kansas City. Uh, his, his contract is up, yep. and there's been – conversations that the enemy might consider going to another team, possibly getting out of the Andy Reid shadow and basically trying to attempt, despite being more than qualified to get an NFL head coaching job of saying, all right, fine. If if you're not going to hire me under these circumstances, despite multiple people getting head coaching jobs that aren't calling plays. And yet the enemy has called plays, it's called plays for a handful of years. It's still, a collaboration effort. Would he, would he leave? Would he feel like that's the best path forward to an NFL health coaching job? Or when you have somebody like Mahomes, why would you also want to leave that scenario? Have you gotten any sort of Intel as to what the enemy might be considering or what the chiefs might want to do? Cause there's, it seems like there's a lot of interest in bringing him back and rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, I've reached out. It's, it, I think it's expected. It, it's, it's tight lipped on it. Um, you know, I don't think guys want to speak for other guys, but I, I do get a sense around the league. Look, Biennemi's interviewed for like 15 jobs at this point. Like, literally, that's the number, like 15 jobs. And obviously, he's not gotten them. And you ask why. And there's a lot of talk about, well, his background, there are some, there are some red flags from a personal standpoint in terms of legalities dating back to his days at Colorado. Um, you know, there's talk about, well, does he interview well? Um, you know, some people believe he doesn't. I've look, I've talked to ex-players who love him, who love him, but some feel like, well, maybe he'd be a better fit as a college coach because of his personality. And is that is it too strong to be an NFL head coach? Look, I, I don't know. I'm not in the building with him every day. I will say this, though. You look around the league, and holy hell, there are guys who are getting jobs who are like, how is that guy more qualified than Eric Bieniemy? Like, I I don't – and by the way, I'm I'm a big believer in like, don't just spare me this whole like. Well, you know, he doesn't interview particularly. He's a football coach. He's not running Goldman Sachs. Like, who's the best guy to run your football team? Now, obviously, look, if the interview is a disaster. You're not going to hire the man. I understand that. But you know, you're going to tell me that Joe Judge just blew the Giants' socks off with his interview? Really? You're going to tell me that Josh McDaniels is more qualified than Eric Bieniemy? What has Josh McDaniels ever done in his career when he hasn't had Brady? He stunk with the Rams. He stunk with Denver. And last year, their offense sucked. But he's got a job. Why? I mean, now, I'm just using him as, as one example. You could do many, many, many examples here. Um, you know, we just talked about Lovey Smith. Now, I, I have a lot of respect for Lovey Smith. But, like, is he really a better hire than Eric Bieniemy would be? Like, is that really – or the, the Saints hiring now, – now, look, Dennis Allen, I get it. He was in New Orleans' system. I understand all that. He's a very very highly thought of defensive coordinator. He was a disaster as a head coach at the Raiders. Now, maybe – look, that was a decade ago. Maybe Dennis Allen deserves another shot, and that's fine. I got no beef with that. But Biennemi, it feels like at this point, it's – you know, the, the, the most common refrain is, well, he doesn't call plays. 
there are a lot of guys who don't call plays who have gotten these jobs. By the way, Doug Peterson was one of them, okay, who won a Super Bowl. Like, Biennemi does not call the plays in Kansas City. Let's just be clear with this. Like, Andy Reid runs that show. But Biennemi has a lot of influence in the way they play. And that that is undeniable. Like, that is that is on record. That is fact. So, I, I wish the man would get a head coaching job, but I think his best path forward is probably going back to Kansas City. You have Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill. Like, if you go somewhere else and you, you call the plays, but you're 19th in offense, that's not helping you any more than sticking with the Chiefs and maybe next year being second in the league in offense and winning a Super Bowl, right? Like, I think that's your best bet, even though it's been frustrating for him. There is a long list of guys, as you're mentioning, who have gotten chances to be head coaches who had no business getting chances. Matt Nagy called offensive plays for five games. Five. And let me tell you something. Not the most impressive stretch of games either. No. Go no, back you're and up, Right. 21 to three up in the playoffs and yeah. you blew the game. They were a train wreck offensively okay. at the end of that year. All right. Uh, we, we got an offseason to keep on diving into this. So let's just get a little bit into the Super Bowl here, even though uh, – I don't think it's completely moving the needle uh, of everyone's maybe maybe Snoop and Dre at halftime is going to be uh, exciting and and football is football so everyone's going to love it get the chips to get the dips rolling but uh, I guess this is the Rams D versus the Bengals offense are we seeing it that way is that a is that a fair assessment? Uh, to a certain extent, I don't. I, I think there's a lot of really compelling matchups here. I I think you have to start there. Because the sort of the number one conversation point, I think, going in is, well, may, maybe there's two. But but if we're starting with that comp, Carm, yeah, it's about whether or not Joe Burrow is going to be able to remain upright in this game. Nine sacks against Tennessee were not a positive. Uh, indi- it was it was a it was a, an indictment of that offensive line. But Burrow was able to bail them out in that game. And then you have the situation where they're down three touchdowns to Kansas City the following week completely make adjustments. The the defense for Cincinnati is fantastic. And, and now you have definitely the best pass rush that they're going to face. Better than Tennessee's who sacked them nine times. Yeah. What what the Rams do exceptionally well um is they generate pressure. They're number three in the league in pressure and quarterback sack rate, despite blitzing um the 23rd, I think it's the 23rd least amount of all 32 teams in the NFL. So they're generating pressure with their, their front line. And Aaron Donald's a big part of that. How are you going to account for him? How are you going to slow him down? If not him, how do you worry about everybody else and Von Miller coming in from the outside? Burrow can get the ball out really, really quick. And that's going to be an advantage too. But then you have to worry about the secondary for the Rams and who Ramsey is going to end up trying to lock down. Is it going to be Chase the entire time? Does that open up things for T. Higgins? Uh, I know Reed Wallach over at Betsided loves the overprops on Tyler Boyd at four, uh, somebody that can generate some opportunities in the middle of the field, uh, get some easy completions from Burrow. Is CJ Uzoma going to be able to be effective coming off the injury that he suffered? So that's, I think, a big core of it. But if you flip it around, and it's about the Bengals being able to create the same type of issues that Mahomes had, where they're, they're dropping all these guys back, and Stafford's been really good against the Blitz, but he also has been turnover-prone over the course of his career. He's been better in the postseason. But the second half of that game against the 49ers, he nearly cost them the game. So those matchups, I think, are going to be the, the key focal points. And part of the reason, and I know we'll get into some of those bets in a little bit, but part of the reason why I see a defensive battle despite two very good offenses coming in the Super Bowl. I totally agree. I think this game is going to be very low scoring. This is not a game. 
the big lie in this playoff run is that Joe Burrow has been incredible. Like Burrow has been fine, but he's not been otherworldly. It's been clutch. Um, yeah. I mean, he's been, he's been efficient, but he mm-hmm. hasn't been, nobody can ever convince me if they watch that AFC title game, that Joe Burrow was the reason they won that football game. I could give you five reasons off the top of my head why the Bengals won that game ahead of Joe Burrow. I mean, their defense was spectacular. Mahomes was awful. Andy Reid still thinks it's illegal to run the football. Um, (laughs) I mean, the Bengals were able to pressure Mahomes on key third downs. And I think in the end, like, they they made a couple – like, Mixon had a couple big plays in there early that kind of kept them alive when it looked like all hope was lost. Obviously, the end of the first half. Burrow threw for six and a half yards in attempt, threw a pick in the fourth quarter, and should have thrown a second one. Like, I do not think this is going to be a game where Burrow's going up and down the field on the Rams. I do not think that's happening. They they can't block the Rams. So where I come down on this game, I think the Rams ought to win, and I think they ought to win somewhat going away. Um, although I would have said the same thing about Kansas City last week, and obviously we saw that played out. Stafford Stafford to me is the linchpin of this game. If he, if I were McVay, I would treat him like he was a nuclear reactor. I would be horrified of him blowing up in this game. Like, look, man, hand the ball off, throw a couple of nice little routes. Like, we're good. You can throw for 200 in this game. We're probably going to win. What you cannot do is throw picks. And that is the thing with him, that if you're the Bengals, it keeps you alive in this football game. Because let's be honest. And I think this leads into, Carl, we talked about right before the show about the, the juice going into this game. The Rams, they don't win the game last weekend if Joukowsky Tarrant just catches what essentially is an arm punt. I mean, that's one of the worst throws I've ever seen in a playoff game. And he got bailed out. Tarrant dropped the ball. But that's the kind of a play that, like, if the Bengals catch that ball or if, if Stafford throws a pick six, which he's more than capable of doing, they can win this game. Like, I think if you're the Bengals, you've got to hope he throws a pick or two, and you've got to be able to run the ball to some extent. You've got to slow them down up front. If it's second and long and third and long, good night. They will tee off on him. He will be running for his life in this football game. But I think the Bengals, if you get a turnover, you've got a real shot to win, and Stafford's the kind of quarterback who will throw the ball up for grabs a few times in a game. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. So just a couple things to underline here uh, on the pressure points. Burrow, most sack quarterback in the NFL this year, 51 times. Now, some of that is he's holding on to it a little bit too long, but the Bengals' offensive line, as you guys are saying, as everyone's saying, uh, not good. The Rams, most sacks in the NFL with 50. So, they're uh, NFL, win games up front, college football, high school football, Ben Heisler dominating peewee football. By the way, Ben Heisler's wife compared him to a beaver. That's what she said uh, if you check Ben's Twitter, which was one of the greatest moments in my Twitter day so far. Um, we can We can get back to that. Uh, I, sorry to throw you under the bus here, but you put it out there on social media. I, so. I, I put it out there, but it was it wasn't as if I like did anything. I didn't build anything. It's like, oh, you know, like my my husband the beaver, you know, setting up furniture in our kids' room. No, she just asked me randomly as I was like getting into bed, like what animal I think I look like. 
And before I even had a chance to respond, she said, a beaver. I'm like, the hell? <laughs> that hurts. Yeah. I don't, I, I, as a, as a, you know, a slight alum to, to beaver, the, the, you know, that, that lifestyle, uh, those dudes are cool. I don't, it's not a huge insult. I think you're, 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 you misrep- think so? no, I, I think it's all right. I think it's, I think it's, I mean, I think it's a fine, fine, crafty animal that she just uh, gave you. I mean, to me, that was borderline big props. I mean, a wow. horse would have been better, you know, a beautiful animal, but, you know, but horse tight. I, I would have been happy with a dog. Arm. Like just, just something that's like lovable yeah. and, and, and sweet and, and maybe a little bit cute. Who's, who's making beaver comps these days? <laughs> Apparently your wife. Apparently. Um, yeah. Uh, let, let me just, but the, the, the burrow part of this equation to me is, as we bounce around here is interesting to me. This dude's in his second year in the league. He's coming off a borderline career-ending knee injury. He looked terrible at the beginning of the year. The Bears beat him. He, he was hobbling around. Now he finishes up the year. He was – let me make sure I have this right. Burrow led the NFC in completion percentage. He led the uh, – uh, 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 AFC, excuse me. And, and, he, and, he, led, and, and he led the AFC in, in yards per attempt. Now, part of that is – I mean, Jambar chases out of his mind and he's catching you know seven-yard outs and, or whatever slants and he's, he's going taking him to the house. But though, that is a tremendous combination. Aside from the intangibles of Burrow – I mean, if they win this game and he does it against the Rams' defense, it's going to be a whole lot of Joe Burrow talk. And where does he rank? Is he in the top five and all that type of stuff? And he'll deserve it, really. Uh, even though he hasn't been as you've under, you know, as you said, Verem, it's not like they beat the Chiefs because of Burrow. But th- this would be uh, an incredible bow on a phenomenal year. It would be. It would be. I, I'm torn because I sound like such a hater with the guy, and I'm not. I actually really love watching him play. Um, I just think sometimes narratives like go so out of control. Like he's been, he's been very good in the regular season. He's been fine in the playoffs. Like the, I, I, I mean, they beat the Titans because Tannehill threw three picks. The Bengals scored nineteen points in that game. Like in the AFC title game, the Bengals had one drive of more than thirty yards that went for a touchdown. One the entire game. Like I, they're winning because of their defense right now. That's why they're winning. And look. You got to give credit. Burrow got sacked nine times in in, the, in one game and was able to to keep things together. He deserves a lot of credit for that. Played well against the Raiders. I, I'll be honest, I didn't think he played well at all against Kansas City. They won the game because of a million other things. But look, if they win the Super Bowl, it becomes a very interesting conversation around him. And you know, I see Shrek jumping in saying he's top four quarterback only behind Rodgers, Mahomes, and Allen. Like you could you could make the case. I mean, Brady's retired, right? I will listen. I know this, especially with my background, comes off as like being a homer. I, Mahomes, I would take ten times out of ten over Joe Burrow. I, I would, I would take Josh Allen over Joe Burrow, regardless of how Sunday plays out. Same with Rodgers. I got to tell you, I think there's an argument like Herbert. I now you could argue that that one's an arguable one. I think Herbert's a much more talented player, but Burrow is maybe more of a winner at this point. Now, how much of that's on the quarterback and how much that's on the team, you could you could go. But listen, there's no arguing this point. Burrow has done a tremendous job. They are in the Super Bowl. They would not even be in the playoffs without him. He has led them in ways that that franchise has not been led in three decades. And if they win against the Rams, you would have to think he will have to play very, very, very well to win this football game. So – Give him all the credit in the world. I will say, to the larger point, I think, 
and we can talk about this more in the offseason. The AFC over the next 10 to 15 years is going to just be ridiculous. I mean, if you win the Super Bowl coming out of the AFC, you did something. Between Mahomes and Allen and Burrow and Herbert and Lamar and maybe Deshaun Watson, and if Rodgers gets traded to Denver, and all, I mean, my God, you are going to be running an unbelievable gauntlet in the regular season, let alone in the playoffs. Uh, it's, it's incredible the amount of young talent in the AFC right now at that position. You brought up something interesting about Burrow because in that game against Kansas City, the bulk of the time he was fairly pedestrian. I I would agree with that. But man, those third down and long conversions were, this is why I think sort of extends the narrative a little bit and, and makes Burrow a bit more legendary in the second year. Those third and long runs. They were the best players he had the whole game. But, but, I agree. But considering the injury and yep. considering the scheme and him, like they, I, I think I'm trying to remember where I saw this article. I wish I could give it credit. Um, where he had gone to, um, he had gone to his head coach and said, like, they're leaving me some room in the middle of the field. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to run here. Like, there's, there's a recognition factor with Burrow that is far beyond his years. And so I, I've heard Dave Wansa talk about how compared to many other quarterbacks since Brady, he looks at Burrow, and again, it, it's, it's one man's opinion, but he views Burrow and his preparation and his mindsets as close to Brady as any other quarterback that he has seen come into the league since then. So Burrow could be that guy where he's not going to beat you with this tantalizing arm talent or exceptional athletic ability. He's, he's going to beat you with his mind. He's going to beat you with those plays that just extend drives enough, keep the guys on the field, move the offense down, pick your defense apart. And, and to do it the way in which he did it last week, when this was somebody that entered the season, having very little trust in his ability to move. That was right. a common theme in the preseason, yep. right? Burrow had talked about he still hadn't gotten that confidence back. He didn't trust his body. And going into the season, that was the talk around the Bengals. Is like, is Joe Burrow going to be able to have the mental fortitude to get himself to the point where they can be more competitive than they were a season ago and they won four games? That, to me, I think sells the narrative on Burrow a little bit more, is that all the shit that he had to overcome over the course of the year is fairly impressive. So I agree with you, Matt. Like From a talent level, He's not up there with those guys, but that's okay because he's finding a whole bunch of other ways to beat you, and it's been awfully impressive. Dude throws a beautiful ball. I want to follow up on Lucas's comment. Burrow is like Brady because, like Brady, won't be the number one re- reason why their teams won their first ring. Uh, that that is a tall, tall, tall glass of water in praise right there, comparing him to the goat. Uh, by the way, the goat is going to come back. I just I I, I I I don't know if people are paying attention to uh, his. No, he's not. He, Tom Brady. He's retiring at forty-four just to what? To hang out and have some pina coladas, and then come back at forty-five when he, he's a year older. He, he doesn't want to retire. His quote: He, he was on uh, Jim Gray's podcast. Quote: I try to make the best possible decision I can in the moment, which I did this last week. And again, I think it's not looking to reverse course. I'm definitely not looking to do that. But in the same time, I think you have to be realistic that you never know what challenges are going to be in life. Again, I loved playing. I'm looking forward to doing things other than playing. That's as honest as I can be with you there. This dude 
it, it for for people that retire when they know that they can still play and it's their favorite thing that they do in their entire life. I know he's 44 and he's and he's you know that's crazy to even consider, but this dude is built differently. He just was one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I would not be surprised if if there if we haven't seen the end of him. I, I want that on the record. It to me it smells a whole lot like 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 Michael Jeffrey Jordan in ninety eight. Never say never. Okay, you're Jordan okay. Wasn't hundred when he retired. Yeah, but in, in basketball in basketball terms, he retired and sat for three years and came back at thirty nine years old because he's that big of a lunatic. Like. I don't know. I this is you know we're we're wait we're twenty years past when Jordan was doing it. This Michael was smoking cigars and drinking whiskey before games, uh, or at least smoking cigars before games when he was a wizard, and even as a bull in the nineties. Brady's eating kale twenty four hours a day. I'll probably continue to do that. I just I, I would not be surprised if there is is a return to football for the dude. He he definitely did not want to retire, and and just felt like he had to because of family obligations. Those things to get twisted over time. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Thank you for letting me get that out on the record. I know you vehemently disagree, Vern Ram. Um, I, I just, I, I mean, I just don't think, you know, what, his family. What's going to happen? Are they all going to go away the next year? They going somewhere? I mean, where, where are they going? No, he's going to sit. He's going to sit in his bed in his bedroom. He's going to mope and he's going to make their life miserable. And they're like, okay, Tom, <laughs> go back and do what you want to do. Like, I just they'll just be like, all right, you know, we thought it would be sweet to have you home, but you know, it, it didn't turn out that way at all. Uh, I we get it. This is this is who you are. You want to do it one more time. You know you don't. You feel like there's something left in the tank. You want to you want to get every last bit out. I I get it. That's that's uh, you know things change. We'll we'll way, see. We've, we've been on this pod for 35 minutes. We still haven't picked the Super Bowl. So okay, gonna, let's pick it. Let's go, Verderam. Who do you got? The Rams. I think the Rams. <laughs> are the game. I, I just look. I, the Bengals are a great story. But, you know, we talked a little bit, kind of alluded to, like, there's a lack of, of like, juice to this game. I think it's because nobody thinks these are the best teams in the game. Like, I think that's a big part of it, isn't it? Like, like the Packers aren't there, the Bucks aren't there, the Bills aren't there, Kansas City's not there. Like, if you're in Cincinnati or maybe you're, like, one of the nine fans who's a Rams fan in Los Angeles, like, you're excited. But I think a lot of – you know, like, I think it's going to be a good game. But does anybody feel like the best teams in football are going to be in this game? Like, I, I maybe they do. I, I, I've told a lot of people, it's like, eh, yeah, this game's going to be played. Like, I don't think the Bengals can block the Rams. And they, I know they, you say, well, they didn't block the Titans. Like, well, the Rams aren't the Titans. Like, the Rams have a lot more weapons. I don't think they can guard Cup and Beckham in this game. Um, the Rams also have one thing going for them that the, the Bengals don't, and that's desperation. Like, the Rams have all these veteran guys who know how hard it is to get here, who have been waiting forever to get to, here, to this point. The Bengals, and I say this lovingly, I think this is actually a compliment. It's like the young and dumb thing, right? Like you don't know any better because, you know, Chase is a rookie and Burrow's in his second year and Higgins is in, I believe, his second year. Like it's you, – you have less urgency where if you're like Andrew Whitworth and you're, you're like, man, I got to win now. If you're Odell, you got to win now. If you're Jalen Ramsey, Stafford, all these guys, a cup, now you've got to do it right now uh and they're at home they're at home in the game i don't think they'll blow the Bengals out but i think they'll win something like 27 to 17 
You know, I just think it'll be a game where the Bengals give a good showing and they're representative. And I wouldn't be shocked, by the way, if the Bengals win because I could see Stafford throwing two pick sixes in a quarter and the game just ending right there. But if he doesn't throw those picks, I just don't think the Bengals have enough to win this game. I don't think the Bengals should have had enough to win the last game, but they did because the other team imploded. Um, if the Rams don't implode on themselves, I think they win. Ben, right. what do you got? By the way, I just tweeted out that my, my dog is uh, dead asleep listening to the podcast, and I'm taking offense to it. I, I need a little bit more interaction while we're talking. Kill, uh, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, if you had a beaver at home, Carmen, it'd be, be a little bit right. different. Exactly. Wide exactly. away, ready to go. I, I like the Rams in this game. The the fact that they're laying four and the line really hasn't shifted uh, from where it opened. Started at three and a half, worked slightly up to four and a half, and I think a couple books have it at that number. Um, if you like the Rams and, and you got it at four over at WinBet, that's probably a, a number that you're going to want to take. I, I will say that if you're looking to get on the Bengals side, this also might be an ideal time because the public, I think, is going to back Cincinnati. I think they like Burrow. I like think they like the underdog he's delivered for them throughout the course of the postseason so um maybe there's an opportunity to get the rams very late in the week at three and a half but i I don't see this line moving it's been fairly consistent over the course of the week i was thinking about you you were talking about you know this matchup matt and whether or not it's it's the matchup that everybody really wanted to see like is it the two most compelling teams in the super bowl and i was trying to think of like different Super Bowls to compare this to because last year you you had that matchup you had Kansas City you had Pat Mahomes you had Tampa Bay and Tom Brady right and throughout the course of the week I've been saying that I think this year's Super Bowl is going to have a fairly similar feel because I think you're going to see one quarterback be completely overwhelmed by the other team's front four and just be running for his life and it's not going to go well offensively and I, I see a situation in which the Rams really just take over because there's no answer on the defensive side of the ball. They just can't stop anybody. But I think the Super Bowl that this actually compares to maybe a little bit more similarly is Super Bowl 50 when the Broncos beat up the Carolina Panthers. You had Cam Newton coming in and they still had weapons on the offensive side of the ball, but you had no answer for that Denver defense. And we talked about whether or not the Rams are going to try and hide Stafford in this game. That's exactly what Denver did. Denver ran the ball against Carolina fairly effectively. C.J. Anderson had those big yards, big plays. Um, They set the ball with the running game. Yeah, exactly. Um, I kind of think it's going to be that type of feel where it's just enough from an offensive side of the ball where the Rams are going to be able to have more playmakers and make more plays in space. And the run game is going to open up what they want to do offensively. Plenty of opportunities for Cooper Cup in the middle of the field. You can take some shots with Beckham. And for Burrow, for as unbelievable as he has been, I, I just can't envision a way that he escapes that kind of pressure. He just does not have enough help, even with all the playmakers that he has on the field, even with a very solid running game. At some point, especially with an extra week of rest for that Rams front four, there's just not going to be anything that's going to be able to stop him. So I like the under in this game. I like the Rams to cover the four. Yeah. Uh, and I, unfortunately, I, I just don't envision a scenario where this is a particularly competitive Super Bowl. Wow. Wow. That, I'm that's on all fronts. I, I'm okay. I'm surprised that you just said that, Ben, because I mean, literally, if you look at, uh, I mean, 58% of the money right now is on the Rams. So, uh, which leads me, of course, in, in, in Carm, Carm betting world to, I'm, I'm taking the Bengals. 
Um, Here's the thing, really, really quick, Carm. I I I don't want to cut you off, but the the difference in fading the money in the Super Bowl versus the rest of the year is this is the most bet day ever. It's the Super Bowl. Maybe you can make an argument that March Madness over time ends up with a larger handle, but from a public betting perspective, they're not only keeping up with the sharps. They're, they're outbidding them. There's so much money coming in from casual bettors who want a piece of the action on the Super Bowl that fading the public in this particular scenario isn't necessarily the, the play in which we would normally think it is. I, I appreciate that qualification. I'm still going to fade the public, even in the Super Bowl, despite Heisler underlining what maybe puts a, a big gigantic hole in my argument here uh, not that i really have an argument i'm just uh, that's just what i do i'm a fader there i don't i don't base it on anything other than i think the public's gonna be wrong however i do think it's very interesting that if you look at who people pick in this game it's down the middle half people picking cincinnati half people picking the rams i mean this it's uh it, it, to the to the expert public whoever gets paid to do this it's a it's a coin flip Verem, you're shaking your head on that no i just look I know I'm coming off as like a big hater of the Bengals. I'm really, I, I'm honestly, I've actually really enjoyed them this year. I just think they're over their skis right now. I do. I, I think the, the AFC title game was a shit show that Kansas City gave away a million ways to Sunday. And now you get into this game. Look, here's the case for the Bengals in this game. Stafford. Stafford throws some hideous pick that just completely turns this game on its ear. Right? Like early in the game, Throw some ball he should never throw, and it's pick six. And all of a sudden, the game flips. Like, I will forever argue with any nerd who says that momentum isn't a real thing in in sports. Yes, it is. And if he, the first drive of the game, throws a pick six to Eli Apple, all of a sudden, all the pressure in the world's on the Rams. Like, you're down seven, nothing. The Bengals are loosey-goosey. Everything feels great. You're winning. I don't think the Bengals are going to cave emotionally in this game because they've been down big to the Chiefs. They came back and they won. I don't think the Bengals are going to fold. They're not built that way. I don't think that will happen. But I do think it could be kind of like the first half of the AFC title game where the Chiefs are just rolling and there's not much the Bengals can do. And unlike Andy Reid, Sean McVay will just run the football. Like that, That will be the difference in this game. Sean McVay will go, I'll hand off 20 times in the second half. I don't care. We will completely take this out of Stafford's hands. We will milk the clock. And if it, the, the problem for the Bengals has been alluded to, and he's right on. If the Rams get up in this game to a point where Cincinnati has to throw the football, it's a wrap. Like, they, there is no, this isn't the Titans where, like, if you get the 19 points, you're going to win. Like, this is a game where if Burrow's got to just throw and throw and throw, and throw, the Rams, are they don't have to blitz. They'll drop seven and just tee off on the Bengals the entire game, like that's where if you're the Bengals, you have to get out in front. You have to have balance to your offense. If they can do that, they have a shot. If they get down the way they got down to the Chiefs, it's a totally different scenario in this game. The Rams will run and they'll tee off with four, and that'll be the end. All right, I'll give you a couple things here just to underline the Stafford part of this. The Rams are eleven and zero, eleven and zero when Stafford has a quarterback rating over a hundred. Okay, this is a very, very, uh, uh, you know, obvious. Oh, he plays well, they win. But just that uh, when he plays well, they win. 11-0. and 0. 
Now, he's 60, his quarterback rating against pressure is 63.4. Now, he, he's good against blitzes and picking up blitzes and getting, it, getting rid of it quickly. But the Bengals rushed three against the Chiefs, and they sacked Mahomes twice. So if Cincinnati can get pressure with four without blitzing, he does not perform particularly well against pressure. So there is that. There's also that weird Matthew Stafford moment that you're underlining, Werner Ram, where he just does things that you're like, what the hell just happened there? So for the Bengals to hope. Right, so for the Bengals to win, you're going to be watching them. What the hell did he just do there? You're going to see them getting pressure with three and or four. And you're going to see sort of that it factor of Joe Burrow coming through uh, over Stafford. Plus, you know, the the Bengals, look, I mean, Burrow, under pressure, he's very good at dumping the ball off to his running backs. So, I mean, Joe Mixon could have a a big day catching the football. He might rush for for 40 and catch, you know, 60 yards worth of balls. So, you know, I – and the Rams, by the way, are at home too, which is which is something we haven't talked about. Which I, I get that you can't script these things, but that just that, that there's something about that that does not feel right. I mean, Brady was at home last year, and now Stafford and company are at home this year. Uh, but so that that's my argument for the Bengals. My one thing on the Rams, the Cooper Cup thing, no no one can cover this guy. Yeah, I saw in the chat earlier Eli Apple and right. the Bengals had some. I mean, you he is just constantly oh, wide freaking open the guy is no. so good he's amazing and it, but see i like we i forget if it was you or ben who mentioned this earlier and i i would do this if i'm the Bengals, i dropped eight guys this entire game i would make him throw into cut and i and look the rams will take the invitation that the chiefs didn't and they'll run the ball at him and i think if you're the i think if you're them you live with it you just if you're the Bengals, you say look i don't care you want to rush for a buck 50 fine we will we will live with that we have to get we have to win on third down and win in the red zone I think for the Bengals, that's how you win. Now, look, that's that's hard to do over and over and over. That's a hard thing to do. Bengals have but not been good on third down. Go you, ahead. You you have to – if I'm the Bengals, I'm saying, look, we got to get that MF for to throw one ball right at us. Like, that's what we have to do. We've got one or two where he just – look, I like Stafford, but through his whole career, he is – Always good for one or two throws in a game that you're like, what in the hell is he doing? Why did he throw that ball? What is he looking at? He will do it. The Bengals have to catch the ball if it's thrown at him, and they've got to get him into a few of these where, hey, look, you know what? He gets impatient. He tries to fire a ball in the coverage. I would watch the Bengals. If I'm the Bengals, I'd watch the Niners tape. In three games, they picked them off in every game two different games they had multiple picks and in the NFC title game they should have had multiple picks like if I'm I'm playing them the same way and I'm begging him I'm begging him to throw the ball into into coverage and you know what if he doesn't do it you're probably losing and that's why if I'm the Rams if they do that if I'm McVay I'm saying good lord do not throw the ball we're going to run it and run it and run it and run it just like they did against the Cardinals they threw 17 times and that's how you win this game it's going to be interesting. I don't think the Bengals have no chance, but I do think the Rams are, are deserved favorites, and they should win this game. The Stafford throwing picks, it happens. It could be the equalizer. Ben, get get to some of your favorite props, by the way. But I, I think you want to follow up on that point as well. But I want to hear I want to hear the Heisler props. Yeah, re- really quickly on Stafford because I, I think this is worth discussing because we've we've mentioned his propensity to throw a bad pick at a bad time. But we do need to give him some credit during this postseason as well, because he's been 
the best quarterback in the league against the blitz over the course of this year. Like that's, that's a fact. Yep. In the game against Arizona, they blitzed him heavily. 50% of his dropbacks ended up throwing, completing 13 of 17 passes, 202 yards, two scores. He was outstanding against the blitz in that game. Arizona played right into his strength. Then the game against the Niners, while he still made that one mistake that could have cost them the game, he also <laughs> tore him up when they did not blitz. And, and this is from John, Hel- uh, John Helmkamp over at Betsided. When he was not pressured against the 49ers, he completed 24 of 29 passes, 254 yards, and two scored. He has thrown six touchdowns and only one interception throughout the playoffs. He's gone over 300 yards in the last two games. He's beating you when they blitz, and he's beating you when they're not creating extra guys coming into his lanes as well. There's an aspect of Matthew Stafford that I think because they haven't faced the Bengals is actually an advantage for it. Normally for quarterbacks, it's kind of the opposite, right? All right, I've seen these defensive fronts before. I kind of know what to expect. I can make adjustments. With Stafford, it's kind of been the opposite this year. Like he he knows how to exploit because he's following the game plan. When he starts to overthink it because he's starting to see fronts and things start to change a little bit, that's when he's more likely to mess up. Part of the other reason that I, I feel a little bit more confident in him this particular game against this defense for Cincinnati, well, while granted they've been better and they've made more adjustments, but if they can get off to a nice lead, I, I think, like you said, McVay is going to run and they have a decisive advantage in the running game, knowing that they can take time off off the ball or take time off the clock. They have acres in there back and healthy. I, I just think this sets up very well for the Rams. You're asking you for a prop. Let's go back to Joe Burrow for a second. Um, his rushing yards is set at 11 and a half. For the most part this season, Joe Burrow has not been a running quarterback, but we talked about a lot of the reasons why. He was recovering from a very serious knee injury, didn't trust his body. Um, Over the course of the the season, he only averaged about eight rushing yards per game. However, this is a matchup. Again, you'll see similar things from the Rams front that you saw against the Chiefs. They're going to generate some pressure and – he was able to make adjustments when he needed to. He saw openings and he took it. There's no reason for Joe Burrow to be like, all right, I got to make sure that I don't get myself hurt here. I'm going to extend plays. This is the way that we have to win. And he's going to be able to be running over the course of this game. He's going to have to. He can't stay in the pocket all day against somebody like Aaron Donald. And the way that you force teams like the Rams to make adjustments is if you beat them on second and long, on third and long with your legs. He's going to take off at least six, seven times in this game. And all he has to get by is that 11, that 11 and a half number, which has already been juiced up over at WinBet to minus 125. And for anyone that's unfamiliar with what that means, minus 125 odds is you bet 125 to win 100. On the other side, on the under, um, I think it's currently listed at minus 105. So the odds are much more stacked towards Burrow going over his rushing prop compared to under. And I think because of the fact that he's running for his life anyway in this game, He's going to have to extend drives. He's going to have to make plays with his legs to be able to keep this team in the game. So I very much like the over on 11 and a half rushing yards for Joe Burrow in the Super Bowl. I love the logic. And then, of course, the other side of it is if the dude gets sacked eight times, then he's going to have to run for 100 yards to get uh, to get to 11, which is, which is a lot. That doesn't, that doesn't count against rushing yards, Scott. 
If he takes off and he, uh, out of the pocket, it doesn't. Is that right? Uh, no. Yeah. If you get sacked, it does not count uh, as as losing rushing yards. That's correct. Okay, I take that back. And Carm has been corrected. Time, time, time to much. learn stuff, Carm. Time to learn. Uh, time to learn the sport you cover. I swear. It, okay. Okay. No, I, no, I, no. I don't I stand don't waste your time. You're wrong. Uh, okay, I'm wrong. I'm, counts I, I own total, it. T- it counts for the teams like total yardage because you're going backwards. But it, it, unless no, now, if it's a designed run, any any loses six, then yeah. But if it's just if it's Justin, a passing play that breaks down and he gets sacked, then so it, it okay. So it counts against passing yards and not rushing yards. Correct, because Justin Fields threw for one yard against the Browns. That's because he got sacked that much. It, Is no, that right? It, it counts against the team's total passing yards, not his personal passing yardage. Okay, um, we me. we can go back and, and check that. Was that the the Cleveland game? That was the Browns game. He threw for one yard. I'm. He was he sacked. Didn't, he did not throw for one yard. They had one yard passing. Right, so it counts against the team passing yards, yeah, but not, not his pass. He so he like got credit for whatever his I mean, fifty four. Yeah. Obviously, okay, but so it counts against the team. But does it count against the team rushing yards? No, just counts no. against team passing yards. Okay, yeah. all right, learning yeah, something. Yeah, the Bears had one net passing yard in that game. Right, and so how many? And how how many times was he sacked? For how many yards? Uh, he was sacked nine times, and I just exited out. But I will be able to find it You're for quick you. Like that. Okay. All right. All right. I'm corrected. Fair enough. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. You know me. I'm a huge football fan, but it can be stressful for us super fans. So Progressive is going to help take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how your team threw the wrong ball on the wrong net, just think about how Home Court Explorer lets you easily compare our direct rates with multiple companies. Well, hope this distraction about Progressive's Home Court Explorer was helpful. It sure helped me from stressing about my team for a bit. Anyway, go sports. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Verin, we got a bunch of topics here that we didn't have. Let's just machine gun through them. Uh, and Ben, weigh in here. Tom Brady, greatest player in NFL history is how you wrote it. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think he's the greatest player in NFL history. I think he's the greatest winner in NFL history. I wrote in my column, he's not Michael Jordan. He's Bill Russell. Like he... He played against more talented players throughout his career, just like Russell did with guys like Chamberlain, and yet just dominated because of his intellect and his and his skill set, but also just this indomitable, like, I'm going to win the game by any means necessary. Like, I always look at Brady and say, he's the greatest quarterback sneak artist of all time, which is a ridiculous thing, right? Like, But that's something that he always could do. If he needed a yard, they got a yard. They always got a yard. Like his success rate is unbelievable in those spots. Um, I don't like to me, he's not Jerry Rice. He's not Lawrence Taylor. Um, he he's not he's not those otherworldly talents, but he's the greatest winner the sport's ever seen. And for that, he deserves to be in, in a pantheonic quarterback all to his own. That's a really interesting comp for Brady. I, I think the the level of competitiveness is at the same level as Jordan. I think Brady is an absolute insatiable winner. And you're right, from a talent level, it, it doesn't add up. But that's been a theme throughout his whole career. He's had to outwork you to get to the level right. that he's gotten to. So I think I think there's sort of like a, a little bit of wiggle room there. Greatest competitor in the NFL that we've ever seen greatest winner in the NFL, 
but I, I don't think it's a debatable topic that there have been better and more talented quarterbacks to play. I think Brady would even admit that. Right. He, he's There's no way he's the greatest thrower of the football. There's no way he's the best runner from a quarterback standpoint. But he would tell uh, you that that doesn't matter to him. Right. Well, when it, it, listen, it is hard to argue against Tom Brady in his career. You, you, good, good luck doing that. But I'm with Verderam uh, and, and very few people that – uh, look, if you put him in, say, Chicago for his career, if you put him in Cincinnati, Bengals going for their first ever Super Bowl victory, would he have had the same level of success? I think the clear answer is no. Is he? Uh, but you can't do that, really, because he did it. And then, he, and then at the end of his career, he goes and does it in Tampa. Now, granted, great job, Tom Brady, the GM. Where should I go where I have a chance to do it again? The Bucks are loaded. I, and by the way, not that many people are saying it. This is a, this is the prime time opportunity for me. So I don't know. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to argue against him as the greatest player in NFL history. Just when considering all his accomplishments. I mean, what are you going to base it on? You're, if you're saying the most talented player, clearly not. But like, how do you how do you argue against it, Vernon? I think Jerry Rice or Lawrence Taylor, are the, the, to me, the greatest players in NFL history. Like Taylor literally changed the way that games were played to figure out a way to block him. Like, teams invented new offenses to stop him. Jerry Rice is so far ahead of any other receiver in NFL history, it's comical. Like, Jerry Rice was a better receiver at 40 than some Hall of Fame guys were at 30. I mean, that's – but I. it's not – I don't want this to be taken as I'm knocking Brady because, look, he is – if you said to me you have to win one game, who do you want? Him. I want him. Like, he's the greatest quarterback to me in NFL history. Um. You know, I don't even know who else you'd even put in it. Like, who else? Maybe you take Montana. You know, maybe you take him or of a, of a certain generation and Johnny Unitas, somebody like that. But I would take Brady. I'd take Brady and Harpy. And I think it's a, it's a credit to say, look, there were guys more talented. Like, Brady got everything out of himself in ways that most human beings never dream of doing. Aaron Rodgers is a way more talented quarterback, right? Like, I don't think anyone would argue that. I think, as, as Ben pointed out, I think Brady would tell you that. Rodgers doesn't win shit. Like, I mean, at some point that matters. Now, yeah, I've heard the whole, well, you know, if, if Rodgers played with, with Belichick, I don't believe that for two seconds. He might have more than one. He wouldn't have seven. There's no way. Like, you're going to tell me Russell Wilson would have seven? I don't think he would. Brady elevated himself and his teammates in a way. Like, I always think it's fascinating. You think of Brady, right? You think of his most prolific years, and you think of of Welker and Moss. They never won a Super Bowl with them. Like, Welker never won a Super Bowl with them. Moss never won a Super Bowl. He won his Super Bowls with Deion Branch and Troy Brown and David Patton. And and then in the second go-around with Malcolm Mitchell and Danny Amendola and, like, Edelman and Gronk. Sure, look, Edelman was terrific and Gronk was great. But, um, you know, those – it wasn't like he was out there with Moss and Chris Carter or with Rice and Craig and John Taylor and Brent Jones. He wasn't. So I do think he's the greatest quarterback ever. But I guess my point is I think like Mahomes to me or Rodgers is more of the – like where Jordan is just unbelievably otherworldly talented and then he married that with being a maniac. I don't think Brady was ever otherworldly talented. But he, like Bill Russell, was just an indomitable winner. Like the guy just won everything all the time, like whatever it took, um, and, and that to me is the ultimate compliment in a lot of ways. 
Which is why the way he went out, by the way, even though they lost, like this game's over. No, it's not because it's him. And somehow, some way, they end up tying the game in the fourth quarter. That was incredible. I mean, the greatest Super Bowl win. I think you gotta you gotta point to Atlanta, right? You're down twenty eight to three, and you win the Super Bowl. You are an insane person. Um, it, it's a good nuance argument. I enjoy it. All right, let's. Uh, Let's look at the draft real quick. How many quarterbacks in the first round? Some are saying none. I love Desmond Ritter because I got to talk to him. He get, He's, I guess, the who's getting the highest uh, acclaim right now. But, I mean, we're talking about a list of people that no one – I mean, unless you're a diehard football fan, you're not exactly paying attention to uh, Mark Willis at, the, at Liberty or Sam Howell at Carolina or even Kenny all, Pickett at Pitt. It's Malik Willis. Malik, thank Mark, you. Mark Willis. What did I say, Mark? Um, I know, I, yeah, that's like, amazing. Like a welder from Piscataway. Uh, no. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't written down right here Malik Willis. I am losing my mind. Go ahead. I think there's going to be three in the first round. Do you really? Yes. Yep. I was down in Mobile this week. Let me tell you something right now. Malik Willis, Malik Willis, is going to be going in the first round. I, I, think, he'll go, I think he'll go in the top ten picks. That have you seen me. him play before the senior bowl? Uh, yes. Before Mobile? Yes. I have. Um and I get it. Look, no, here's my my take on him is he's very inconsistent and his accuracy is scattershot because I think his, his mechanics are scattershot. But, man, if you know anything about the NFL, people love tools and traits and all that stuff. That kid, I watched six quarterbacks throw down in Alabama, okay, including Kenny Pickett, including Sam Howell, including Ritter and, and uh, Carson Strong as well, by the way. Those kids looked like me throwing the ball compared to Malik Willis. Like the ball was just a rocket ship out of that kid's hand. Like there were some throws that he was making. You're like, oh my God. Like that kid, wow. I'll tell you what, from a tools perspective, he reminds me of what Josh Allen was coming out of college. Not what he is now. Not what he is now. What he was coming out. Kid who had legs, who could move who had a cannon for an arm, a little bit more accurate than Allen coming out of college, I might add, okay? A little bit more. He was not under that 60% clip. He's around a little above 60. If you're the Falcons, Willis is from Atlanta. The best case scenario, I think, for Willis is to be drafted by a team that has an offensive mind that can sit him for a year. Atlanta is perfect for that. Carolina is perfect for that. Denver might be perfect for that. Those three teams right around that 10th overall pick, I look at and go, that's – and by the way, the Steelers, it's the worst-kept secret in the world on a mobile that they really like him. So I think he will go. Kenny Pickett is a guy who a lot of people seem to really like, uh, interviews well, all those things. From a talent perspective, I, I will say – now, I have not watched a lot of him other than the senior bowl. I don't, I don't get it necessarily. Like I'm not overwhelmed by Kenny Pickett's ability, but – he will probably go in the first round. And then I think Matt Corral probably goes in the first round too. Don't you don't think Ritter goes in the first round? No, 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 no. Okay. By the way, and I like Desmond Ritter. Um, got to got to chat with him during the not one on one, but just the press conference, the open media portion. He was asked um who he like looks up to as as a quarterback, and he had one of the more bizarre answers I've ever heard. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, I actually I tweeted out the quote, but um he he compared himself to Deshaun Watson in terms of decision making, and then he said, uh, "I also like Ryan Tannehill's game management skills." 
Okay. <laughs> I was like, that's that's something. Like, <laughs> and by the way, look, obviously the Deshaun Watson thing. I mean, it was you know, of course, he's talking about on the field, but it was like, man, that like that's what you like about Deshaun Watson is decision making, and then he backed it up with with Ryan Tannehill that he that he likes the way he manages games. I mean, I was. I was like, that answer's not helping you move up the board. I was going to say, you, you know what I like about that answer is that's that honest. It, it, it's honest, and it was a not a coached up answer. No, it was not. Slightest. What I what I'm curious about because I, I get I I really don't know any of these guys other than you know watching them maybe play a game or two, but the, the consensus takeaway that I've heard coming out of out of Mobile is that none of these guys would have gone ahead of anybody that was drafted in the first round last year at the quarterback. No, spot. no way. No way. No. So it, the Mo, one Malik, team, teams are going to reach because it's still the quarterback spot and, and guys will get hyped up. And, and Willis is a, a classic example of this and, and whoever, whichever team ends up reaching and go and get him, they'll hope that he's the guy. Yep. Malik Willis's uncle on a quick Google search, James Anderson, Verderam. Do you know him, Mr. Football? No, I do not know him. He played college football at Virginia Tech, 11 seasons in the NFL, drafted in the third round, 06, Carolina Panthers. So he's got football heritage in the family, for whatever that's worth. But now, I, forever, I mean, you are, for, quarterback taken. Yeah, you are forever tied to Malik Willis with me now. I will say that Verderam on stacking the box on February the 8th, ahead of the Bengals and the Rams, which is in a Super Bowl that, by the way, us talking about it today, I just got excited to watch. I think it's going to be great. I'm, I'm fired up. For I'll Sunday. be in the press box, and I don't know how excited I am. I got I to get myself uh, to that Well, I, I mean, you're dealing with the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs have just woefully underachieved and, and ruined your life again. So uh, you know, I funny, though, After they won the Super Bowl, like, I feel like I have a totally different perspective. Like I, that, that loss would have annoyed me to no end by like Monday morning when I flew to Mobile, I was over it. Like I was just like, hey, well, you know, what are you gonna do? I mean, in some ways, it's nice I don't have the stress. Um, I can just go watch a football game. But yeah, I mean, that, that game was an atrocity, an absolute atrocity. That being said, I think like you know, it'll be look if Burrow wins, it's it's a great story for the NFL, right? I mean, you have this young kid, and now he's got a championship, and now all of a sudden it's like, all right, he and Mahomes have their rings. Allen and Herbert are chasing behind. Lamar's chasing behind. I, I think it becomes very interesting. Yeah, and the Arrowhead Attic podcast is headed out to California. Yeah, I'll be there with, without the Chiefs, but we're still going. It's 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 a there. great example of moving forward in life when things don't go your way. <laughs> you guys are still going. Carm, get uh, away, Carm. Yeah, well, ex- exactly right. You're you're still going, baby. That's what you do. You know, stack in the boxes. We're I'm hanging out. That's and uh, and Benny's hanging out. By the way, uh, Ben, I know you got some stuff going on over at Betside that people should know about. Yeah, for anybody that's been enjoying, uh, you know, joining us every week on, on Stack in the Box, Betside is going to be doing some fun stuff both today and Thursday uh, for some live streams. We're going to be going around. The entire crew is going to be giving out our favorite prop bets for the Super Bowl today. That's going to be at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you can watch that right here on YouTube. You can check us out over at BetSide. It's going to be streaming on Twitter as well. And then on Thursday, we're going to be back this time also at 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, we're all going to be doing a draft, entire BetSided team of our favorite, of our top prop, our best anytime touchdown score, and then a wild card. So if you're looking for all different ways to bet on the Super Bowl, Something a little bit different, something a little bit more fun. The stakes will be enormous. Uh, please do check us out. 
right here on YouTube at BetSided, and then of course at fansided.com slash BetSided. Subscribe to the YouTube BetSided. Make yourself some money. Get yourself entertained. Right. See more. See more Heisler. Live the dream. Veram, what's going on in your life? Let's say goodbye. I can't even remember what the hell I wrote down. I'm, you said I'm something so. about you. You're never gonna fly again. Oh, I can't. Yeah, I can't wait till I'm done flying. I, I hate it. I do. I hate everything about it. I, I don't. I don't even have a fear of flying. I just hate flying. I hate it. I, I, you know, you get the the mobile, which by the way, like, City does a great job putting on the senior bowl. I, I really, I, I will give them. They do a great job. And man, if you go down there, shout out to the loaded beer garden. My God, the tots and the burgers are amazing. Um, but man. Like it's such a bitch to get that you got to fly to Atlanta and then connect into a mobile and then like which is okay whatever fine first world problem then getting out of there is an ungodly shit show so on Thursday I initially was going to take a red eye out of there I wanted to go to the practice on Thursday meet with some more you know people in the league whatever get as much inside as I could and then get on the flight and get home well it's going to be an absolute just downpour on thursday so i know they're going to move practice inside which they ended up announcing on wednesdays so we can't watch it everybody's talking about getting the hell out so i'm like all right i'm gonna get the hell out too so i changed my flight to like 11 o'clock in the morning instead of seven o'clock at night well i it, then i then delta is not allowing me to like check in so i gotta call delta i'm on the phone for two hours wasting my night on wednesday night when i could be out meeting with people and the guy's like, I, I don't know, man. Just go to the airport. I'm sure it'll work out. Like, thanks. That's great. Thanks for that advice. Get to the airport to his credit. It did work out. It was fine. Get on the flight. The weather's kind of crappy. Like, All right. It's just rain, though. It's not that big of a deal. Get to Atlanta. We're delayed four hours because you can't get the, the – the plane is sitting at the gate. It's clean. It's ready to go. But the flight crew can't get there because they can't land their plane in Atlanta. They're waiting to land this plane. So then I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the weather and there is like an ice band from Dallas to New York, just all the way across the country. We finally board this plane. We get in there. And by the way, kudos to Delta for a couple of safe flights in that day. I appreciate it. We get in there. The pilot to, to this person's undying credit with honesty just goes, listen, we're not serving drinks. We're not serving food because it's going to be a rough ride. And uh, the flight crew is going to be strapped in. So, it's going to be a rough one. Settle in. See you on the see you on the ground in ninety minutes. Like, okay, and they uh, it lived up to expectation. We were we were banging around pretty good on that bad boy, especially on the ascent. Um, once we got up top, it wasn't too bad. Coming down, it was a little bumpy. Not as bad as going up. But at one point, one of the stewardesses got up to like collect whatever garbage there might have been, and we hit turbulence, and she just went flying across the aisle. And I'm like, get me on the fucking ground. I don't care, like, whatever it takes. And so I got to fly to L.A. on Thursday. I'll fly back Monday. Then I'm taking four days off uh, to recuperate emotionally and mentally. And I'll tell you, I'm driving to Indy for the Combine, and I'm not getting on another plane. If we go to Kansas City a few times this year for, like, Arrowhead Attic stuff, my ass is driving. I'll drive the eight hours. I don't care. Like, I want to be on the ground. The new John Madden. It's the new Madden. Verta Madden. I don't even, like, I honestly, it's not even, like, I don't, I'm not one of these people who gets anxious when I'm on the plane. Like, normally, I, I honestly, I don't mind, like, being, I, it's getting to the airport, parking at the damn airport. It's the whole bullshit-ass, like, 
the process. Then you get delayed. You get a, then you get to deal with anti-vax lady who's like, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm going to scream at her for 10 minutes to put her, to put her face mask on. And then it's, you know, it's, like, it's just all of it. You're jammed in. I'm 6'2", 220. I'm not built for an airplane. Like, I'm not paying for extra leg room, even though I probably should at this point. Like, you're just jammed in. You're next to the person who doesn't understand armrest protocol. Right. Like, you know, they, they just wail some some peanuts at you. Like, here you go. Like, that makes it all better as you're banging around at 30,000 feet. You, you, you know, easygoing is not words that describe you. So I, I no. think this is no. <laughs> airport food. It sucks. Like, just oh, you're crazy. There, airport food is, has gone so, to such oh, a higher level. Terrible food. Oh, it's expensive, but I find it to it be awesome. quite delicious. I got um, a euro, euro, however the hell you pronounce it, depending on where you are yeah. in the country. I got one in Atlanta. It was 14 bucks. I watched them make it. It was literally a pita with two slices of lamb meat. Two slices. It was just like, yeah, that's it. We're done. I was like, what are you kidding me? Like, I, yeah, I lost well, my mind. Like, $14 for this thing? It's a, it's a fucking pita. Well, like, what the hell's yeah, happening? Oh, it was a disgrace. Well, this this wasn't uh, a newsflash, buddy. Plan ahead. Make a I sandwich. Understand. I'm still pissed. Oh, all right. Uh, Heist put in the chat the the, the Matten Cruiser. Uh, that's I'm actually thinking about taking some time myself, and I was like, should I? Because I was going to go out to California for the old Super Bowl, but it's not happening. But I was like, should I? T- should I ride the Amtrak out there? Just because I've always wanted to do that. From, then, from Chicago to Los Angeles, you want to do a full-on Amtrak? 40 hours, buddy. 40 hours. Just, 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 yeah, when you get on the rail... And you Even I don't hate the flights that much. Well, yeah, but you, you don't have to think literally about anything. You're just relaxing. You're in the, you're in the observ, uh, observatory car. You're looking at the mountains going through the Rockies. You're having a cocktail. You're reading a book. You're listening to a podcast. I, I, like, you're, like Life just stops when you're on that train. There is nothing to do for the next 40 hours to just sit your ass on that train, which is what I want. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> you make a compelling point, like, if you flew to Denver, all right, and then you decided yeah. to take the train, yeah. then you get some scenery. Well, you don't want to go through Nebraska? <laughs> you got to go probably like down through St. Louis, oh, no, Kansas no. City. Like no. You're going to get a whole lot of no, 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 no. for hours. No, no I, I've, looked at, I've looked at the routes. You go, that's not the way you go. That's one way you could go, but that's the long route. Uh, you, Look listen, out the window, it's, kids. It's, it's already it's a you. long route. <laughs> yeah, but Okay, but I've always loved trains, and I just think it'd be fun, and maybe I could do some TikToks and whatever else I could do on there. I I think I, I would love it. I I don't think it would bother me in the do slightest. You, do you guys burger up over under over you, under thirty five minutes into that into that train ride? Carm gets on Twitter, ask me anything. I got thirty nine <laughs> oh, and a half more hours. Oh, to go. way under you. The, the, the train might not plot a station. Like that's first that's stop is Naperville, things. baby. This Naperville, like a, Illinois. Let's go. That's I'm, one of those things that sounds like a great idea until you're you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, and you've now debated whether or not what's more painful, the rest of this trip or throwing my face under the rails. Like what I mean, like I always think occasionally because I always want a lake house, right? That's my thing. And like it's like my ultimate dream to have a lake house to like retire to or whatever. And I think to myself, like, man, you know what would be cool? Like getting a lake house in Montana. And then you actually think about it and you're like, no, no, that wouldn't be like I that sounds awful because it's like, hey, honey, you want? I'm going to go to the store. I'll be back in four hours as I drive forever to get to a store. Like, 
I, you know, it, all that crap sounds fine and well until it's in practice. And you're like, I had to gas the car up three what? times to get milk. <laughs> what are you, you know? talking? No, no, no. There's, there's, you're, you're like in 1942. There's stores everywhere around lake houses now. The whole world is living around a lake house. By the he's, way, I want to shout out. He's not wrong. I, I went to a wedding outside <laughs> in, in Montana. It was, it, was a, it was a good camp friend's wedding. Um, it was about like maybe a two hour drive away from where we flew in in, in Missoula. And obviously, just it's gorgeous. You're right on this lake. You see the mountains. It's like it was a perfect setup for this wedding. But yeah, if, if you forgot something, like if you forgot a toothbrush and the, the little general store brushing 20 minutes teeth. away is closed, you are royally screwed. And yes, you are gassing up and then gassing back on the way just, just to get a toothbrush. Just dial up Amazon. It'll be there in 10 minutes. I, I want to show you. Airdrop it? <laughs> yes, they will. There'll be some drone that's going to show up at your doorstep. I want to shout out Lucas S., who's had a ton of chats today. And his last one, our passenger trains are nightmares because freight trains own the majority of the railways in the U.S., so passengers' trains are almost always late. Fucking knowledge. I mean, the dude's dropping knowledge on that. He's talking about Sam Howells reminding him of him, Russell Wilson. He had a he had a million other cases. Poor he's man, rolling Russell Wilson. Uh, yeah, a very poor. I mean, the dude yeah, has yeah. been. Uh, uh, and now he's talking about uh, na- fun fact: the only natural fears for humans are falling and loud noises. The range of Lucas, I'm, I see you, buddy. You are. You don't you know, really have him bring him on. Uh, yeah, get me out of here. Look, look at that avatar too. Just rooting for nothing but champions: Tampa Bay Lightning, Kansas City Chiefs. Right. I didn't even. I didn't pick. I didn't, I didn't even pull out the Lightning. Well done. Uh, by the way, we can I guess wrap now since we've we've gone fully off the rails, or maybe we're on the rails now at this juncture. Do you guys, either one of you, watch that show, eighteen eighty three? No, I have not. Okay, it's it's like a prequel to Yellowstone. If either one of you have watched that, which I have not watched Yellowstone, but I, I got into eighteen eighty three. It is actually it, it's a very good show. It's interesting. It's on Paramount Plus. I, I think it's I think it's worth a watch. Um, but the whole the whole show is based off of like this wagon train from Texas to Oregon. And as someone who loves history and knows that the railroad, the, the, uh, the intercontinental railroad was, was built in like the 1870s or finished in the 1870s. I have a lot of questions. Like who the hell was taking a wagon train at this point? I'm sure it happened. Right. But I'd love to like, dude, like people were still riding the damn wagon train. I guess if you just had no money, then maybe, but even then, like you needed somebody to lead you out there for the most part. Like, I, like uh, this is this is a conversation you should have with uh, Maisie and your wife. I, you lost me at wagon train. I don't know, Heisler. Are you with Are you with Verderam on this? Uh, no, but tangent? I but I will say <laughs> that I, I hope even after football season is done that I, I can still occasionally come on and, and bug you guys because yeah, for an you know an hour and twenty minutes in our in our ten minutes of, of Super Bowl conversation we we. <laughs> We've gone through some shit together, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. No, I, I'm with you, and I'll die, I'll I'll move away from the way. But I did point, at least twelve minutes of Super Bowl talk. You're, you're right. I right. I went. I I I didn't give you enough credit. You come that. on whenever you want, Heiser. But the the point remains. I, I I just the reason I brought that show up is the 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 West is is like was like this unclaimed territory that I still feel like to like if you go to like Wyoming or Montana or like like it is just like. People are always like, I just want to get away and get off. You want to get away? Take your ass to Wyoming. You'll get away. You know, like I, I can't disagree with that. Now that I've been to Montana, like, I completely agree. You will, you will get away. You know, like the East Coast. There's no getting away. 
It, it doesn't exist. Even the Midwest, to some extent, like, if it, but you go out West and it just reminded me of that show. Like the, there's no, you know, there, there's the railroad that just goes straight out to the Pacific. And then there, you know, obviously people have populated the West coast quite a bit, but that like far Midwest area, you got some room to roam, my friend. You want a hundred acres? You got a hundred acres. Well, just don't forget when you mentioned Wyoming, that's that was the home of Josh Allen, baby. So, it, well, you, from California, from Fireball, but yes, right? went to Wyoming and uh, got it, got it done, got it, got himself first round pick. All right, we got to get the hell out of here. People are literally, I think, going to come after us. After I this. mean, Red Whip's got you for president. We'd only take Wait. an hour and twenty minutes for that to happen. That somebody would nominate. He's not you. wrong. I mean, yeah, I mean, he is wrong, horribly wrong. But I, I, you know, I'll take the nomination. Uh. All right, go to check out the bedside later today if you got the time. Uh, ben and company do a great job over there. Vertoram, uh, you do a great job. Carm, uh, I learned something today about rushing yards and, and quarterbacks, so thank you for that. And uh, enjoy your Super Bowl. We will see you uh, next Tuesday, 11 Central time. Are you off next Tuesday, Vertoram? Yeah, but I'll, I'll probably pop on. Okay. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll discuss. We'll see how tired I am come Monday. Okay, we need you on the show. It's your the show is is uh, you are the show, buddy. Uh, so, at least most of the time, I'll throw you a little compliment. Take the compliment. All right, see you, everybody. Thanks for watching. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't on YouTube, and we will see you next time.